So this unprecedented situation has put the traditional media under pressure. I've already mentioned Fox News. They're totally on the president's side. They're absolutely broadcasting spurious, unfounded allegations of election fraud. But the traditional media then has to ask itself how it is going to treat these untrue claims. And can they apply the same excoriating, harsh lens to these claims that they might apply to a more far-flung uh, failing democracy? And the answer is, well, kind of. Uh, a few of these major outlets are actually saying, oh, it's a coup, but they are actually changing the tenor of their coverage to really actually hammer home that these are false claims. So this is CNN's Jake Tapper uh, on the Republican election response from today. Either way, Secretary Pompeo, Senators Johnson and Blunt and all the others enabling this fiction that the president may have won the election, they are continuing to put their loyalty to President Trump ahead of their loyalty to the United States of America and to the American people who deserve the truth about this election, not more divisive lies that terrify one half of the nation and misinform and thus outrage the other half. So that was CNN's Jake Tapper speaking about the consequences of election misinformation and actually the potentially destructive path that the US is going down. What holds back the, like, the truly damning media coverage, if indeed it is being held back? Well, I mean, maybe the truly damning until now. Basically, throughout the Trump presidency, reporters have been limited by, I guess it's a sense of professional decorum, where you really feel, and this is legitimate and it comes from a good place, that you have to give both sides of a dispute, particularly a political dispute in a democracy, and particularly in a two-party system, equal coverage. You have to put one side and then you have to put the other side, and you let the readers decide who's right. And that's just the way that journalism is taught. And... I'll, uh, last week, the US election was unfolding. We talked about that. And we didn't, we didn't get to talk about the journalist Robert Fisk, who just died, one of the great journalists of our time. Uh, he spoke about this topic in a way in Auckland in 2008. As he talked about, well, uh, he called it 50 50 journalism, but what we call it now is both sides journalism. And this is what he said. <laughs> well, in Britain, we don't like journalism school, but in America, what they teach you is, apart from another load of cliches, is give half your story to one side and half to another in a dispute. That's okay if you're doing a football match or a, uh, if you're covering a public inquiry into a new highway round Auckland. But the Middle East is not a football match. It is a massive human bloody tragedy. And I don't think we can apply those rules in a place like the Middle East. Yes, I think we should be objective and unbiased on the side of those who suffer. If we were reporting the slave trade in the 18th century, would we give equal time to the slave ship captain? No, we'd talk to the slaves and the survivors on that ship. So that was the journalist Robert Fisk. That's a pretty emotional argument. Uh, recently passed. I wouldn't characterise the United States in exactly those terms. But the broader point that he's making does stand. There's disputes where both sides are not morally equivalent. And where, take climate change. Climate change denial is not the same as, doesn't have the same validity as someone that has a f knowledge of physics and knows that climate change exists. Uh, a similar situation 
is now taking place in the United States where the president is saying something that is simply not true and the media cannot cover it credulously just saying, okay, he said this and actually there's a different point over here. Actually, you have to say, you have to make a truth claim and that's the real purpose of journalism. So uh, I think that 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 mindset has gradually seeped into most of the mainstream press in the United States. Not all of it, obviously, uh, but this there has been a gradual aversion to both sides journalism as it has become clear that actually on this on this topic and others that that one side of the argument is not acting in good faith and is actually being inaccurate. What coverage has been good? So I, I do want to highlight one this is not this is not a particularly this is just straight journalism. It's not one that's making a particularly lurid point or anything like that, but it's one that really rebuts some of the uh, absolutely false and unsupported claims of electron fraud. The New York Times reporters, three, it's a three-byline story, they contacted 45, well, sorry, they contacted all 50 election officials overseeing the state elections in the United States. They got 45 responses, and all 45 of those responses were from people who said they had no evidence of widespread voter fraud. So this is just a straight rebuttal <laughs> to the greatest debate that's happening in the United States right now, which is the president and his supporters saying that there was widespread voter fraud, and that's why he lost the election substantially. So this is good journalism. It's 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 done. It's gone out there and it's uncovered the truth and it's reported it dispassionately. I can hardly bear to ask, but what coverage hasn't been good? Um. <laughs> so I. Obviously, the the thing that I've written here is actually something that's pretty irrelevant. It, it, I mean, the stuff that hasn't been good has been Fox News, right? I mean, and Newsmax and all of these various propagandic networks that have actually just pumped out almost nonstop misinformation. And you say, oh, that's conservative bias. Well, the, there's just no evidence for these claims, that they're, that they're making, and, and they're really undermining democracy in the, in the United States, and they're actually uh, laying the groundwork for potentially the election being stolen. I, I want to highlight another sto- a story that was from Ryan Leeser of Politico, who today did a story actually bemoaning the lack of press coverage that the Biden transition team had given the political reporters over there, which is absolutely fine. In a way, it's kind of a relief, right, to get that kind of story. You're like, oh, thank God we're back to normal gripes about normal stuff. And I totally understand that. He's, he's centering the person who, in all right, should actually be the next president and does have the power. That's what people say you should do. Center the person that uh, is actually the main character rather than Donald Trump. Uh, it does seem a little bit like disordered priorities. And, and it does maybe seem like someone that is really aching to go back to that kind of both sides journalism where they can kind of critique Democrats about something, and then they can critique Republicans, and everyone seems everyone's equally bad. And in this case, it's Biden not giving the the adequate amount of press access during the day while he's doing this transition. But on the other hand, you have uh, another side that is trying to architect what is arguably, in Ezra Klein's view and others, a coup. So it seems like a little bit of a, a hard equivalency to 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 make.
I want to change the subject entirely now and move on to this documentary Phew. on Matara's toxic waste problem. And you put me onto this fantastic uh, clip and song from Anthony mm. Tonin, who's on this rail tour at the moment, isn't he? He is. Around the country and uh, singer-songwriter. And um, he is getting involved lyrically in local journalism. He is. And so Anthony Tonin, actually. Uh, but he... He is involved in local journalism. The spin-off, I actually want to highlight the spin-off because I've put out a documentary on the Matoda paper mill situation. If you don't know what it is, it's very briefly TY Point Smelter. They produce a, a toxic waste known as Dross. It contacted a Bahrain company called Taha International to convert some of that Dross into fertilizer. That company went bust. Uh, and instead of actually doing that, it just dumped a whole bunch of what's called Uvea in the disused Matoda paper mill factory. That would be annoying on its own. Uh, the problem is that when Uvea gets wet, it releases toxic ammonia gas, which could poison the people of Matoda. So uh, it's it's this, it, that's the story in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it. There's uh, the little guy versus the god David versus Goliath. Uh, it's a great documentary. But I just wanted to highlight that Anthony Tonin had gone there before this documentary and written a song about this situation himself. Let's have a listen to it. I don't think we've got time to feature all of it, but mm. this is a snippet from Anthony Tonin's song, which is called Matauda Paper Mill. Matauda Paper Mill Words are lost on this waterfall If you search out you will feel the power it held. It's a little bit from Anthony Tonin's Matilda Paper Mill. It's such a good clip as well. It's got a drone shot coming up the river. Mm. It came out in May, I believe. March or Yeah, it did. I think that he rushed it out because in February, the river next to the Matoda paper mill actually flooded, which is the worst fear, right? Because the water could get in, then the toxic gas could be released and the people of Matoda could be poisoned. So they were evacuating their homes. And so he got out this song, which he'd just written because he was fascinated by the subject. And I just wanted to highlight this. I mean, it's not reporting in a traditional sense, but Anthony, I think... uh, does songs which are kind of local journalism in their own funny way. And here's another one that was nominated for Silver Scroll called uh, Water Underground, uh, which was actually about Nick Smith sacking Environment Canterbury to get, uh, allegedly, access to the water tables under Canterbury <laughs> to provide irrigation for farmers. And and this is this emotional song, and, and, and but it's actually written about an irrigation dispute. Uh, and this is another one where you're talking about this obviously quite dry topic. Uh, yeah, no uh, but, pun intended. Yeah, and but actually he's trying to um, bring a different format to local journalism and try and tell it through song. I didn't realise that with the Water Underground song, but after looking up uh, this Matilda paper mill track, I see he's also done one about uh, a real estate agent and yeah. issues that one doesn't expect to hear in music. No, so most local journalists are obviously going on about heartbreak and love, but this is one that is uh, grounding his songs in the gritty stuff of council 
agendas. And this, he's on a, he's on tour at the moment. Raillands, look it up. Uh, and this is a whole tour that's devoted to essentially New Zealand's unloved and disused and run down. Uh, but beautiful old public transport networks, so the train networks and some, in this case, some bus networks as well. And so, yeah, he's, this is a musical tour devoted to public transport and its promise and the connection of these things to actual real life as well and real people. And I see you've got a note here about local reality TV. Should we be worried? Look, I, I haven't watched a huge amount of this, but I have tuned in a little bit to Match Fit which is a, a, a series that recently came out, TV3. Uh, and it just features a whole bunch of out-of-shape former All Blacks trying to get in shape for one last big game. And it's... It it's quite. It's <laughs> it actually a, sounds quite good. It's really good. Frank Bunce, you know Troy Flavell, uh, Peter Alatini, uh, Pity Weepu. Uh, so is he not match fit? He Pity. is not match fit. It's one of these shows. Reality TV, you know, you think The Bachelorette, you think you know Love Island, you think um, it's stuff that maybe you, you people be like, oh, it's lowbrow. This is one of these things that actually has a real public good. It's these people that you know people have grown up idolizing and just seeing as invincible heroes, and they're sharing their health struggles, both physical and mental. So it's actually serving a real public good. Sounds like it would make a great movie. Well, uh, it makes a good TV series, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So are they getting in shape? How many episodes in uh, are we? Actually, I've just, yeah, they've just, just finished started. it up. You can watch it oh, on it's over. 3 Now. So you can actually go back on 3 Now and watch it. It's a, it was a great series. Um, uh, it follows another one called Man Enough. But these are shows that show men being vulnerable and talking about mental and physical health. I just want to point out, this is reality TV being used for a social good. It's not all the block. It's not all just contributing to your housing crisis and glorifying property speculation. It can be used to help people. Yeah, bring back reality. No, not bring back, but uh, keep reality TV real, but not all that other stuff. Yeah, maybe this is a different direction. Maybe it is. For, for people. And we don't have to just glorify property speculation and damaging things to society.